This is your boy, Regis Rougarou Progray, WBC Super Lightweight Interim Champion of the World, 21-0, 18 knockouts, and you're listening to Zoot's Boxing Talk. All righty, everybody. Welcome to Zoot's Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you sweet science straight up with no twists. And right off the bat, I played the wrong segment. That's an old cut of Regis. He's obviously fought more since then. This is the one I was supposed to play. This is your boy, Regis, Rougarou Progress, and you're listening to Zoot's Boxing Talk. So there you go. But uh, whatever the case may be, we have a great show for you tonight on live. How's everybody doing out there? Wednesday, March the 8th. No, 9th. The eighth was yesterday. I keep getting the dates wrong too. Something, something's going on in the air. I, I, I don't know, but uh, maybe because the fight of the century was yesterday, and I still have that on my mind. But it's March the ninth, twenty twenty-two, and we're set for a full show this evening. John Responde and myself will talk about the Rings Top One Hundred that came out with the Rings Hundredth Anniversary Year. Uh, edition and they compiled 
a top 100, and uh, it's very unique. It, it is very robust. It took a lot of time for the people at Ring to compile such a list. So I wanted to spend some time talking to uh, you all about it. And uh, John is going to join us because, uh, you know, the guy who lives, breathes, sleeps boxing, reads boxing, writes boxing. So uh, I think uh, having his input on it is going to be a lot of fun. But first, John and I are going to talk about the uh, boxing weekend that we just had. So without any further ado, let me introduce the man who is the chief lead writer of MaxBoxing.com co-author of Intimate Warfare, the true story of the Arturo Gotti and Mickey Ward boxing trilogy, also written by Dennis Taylor. A few more rounds, a collection of boxing tales with Jerry Fitch. And I had John and Jerry on not that long ago to talk about that great book. And then then John decided to give it a little face, a little solo project, Blood on My Notebook, Dispatches from the World of Professional Boxing. When do you have time to sleep, Mr. John J. Responte? Welcome back. Thank you, Zoot. Uh, I don't know how I do it. Uh, the problem that you're having with uh, the date is you're getting old, but you're not as old as me, so you got nothing really to worry about for a while. So uh, you're good. <laughs> Two shows in a row, I said the wrong thing yeah. at the outset, and then and, and, and this show I hit the wrong clip. I gave you the clip oh, of, Regis, of Regis introducing when he was uh, 19 and 0. He's uh, moved on since yeah. then, so I have a new clip, but there you go. But nevertheless, let's talk a little boxing. So we had some good boxing action uh, this past weekend. Uh, on paper, I thought both main events uh, that were given to us, one on ESPN+, Plus, one on Dazone here in the United States, was stellar. I'm not sure. If they they delivered the kind of drama I thought they were going to deliver going in, but we'll talk about that. But before we get into that, uh, I wanted to spend some time on some of the undercard uh, fights, just a minute or two, because I, you know I think they're they're important. And you know what fighter didn't start on the undercard? So over at ESPN Plus, things that stood out for me. And for anybody else that was watching it, obviously, would be Charlie Sheehy, the young uh, lightweight. Uh, he was one and going into this. He looks pretty good. Can't really tell uh, exactly what he's going to be. But, you know, he has to me, he has that wow factor. He has that factor of I want to see more. Uh, uh, Richard Torres, the heavyweight, making his debut. A lot of cachet from the Olympics. They spent a lot of time talking about this fight uh, in the in the ESPN plus uh, telecast and I'll talk about how long that telecast was uh, soon enough and it was a fun fight don't know what Torres is going to do as a heavyweight but he stops Alan Mason in two rounds and I, I thought it was albeit sloppy it was a fun fight uh, Gabriel Flores Jr. fought uh, Abraham on Toya to a 10-round majority decision. Uh, and uh, Joette uh, Gonzalez stops uh, J.O. Santismia in the ninth round for the vacant WBO international featherweight title. Uh, I thought that's what stood out for me over on the undercard on uh, ESPN+. Plus. Over at Zone, we had a tremendous 
Kofichu. Mauricio Laura knocks out Emilio Sanchez in three rounds. And that third round, to me, should be a round of the year candidate. Uh, too, too short to be considered fight of the year. But while it lasted, it was unbelievable action. And uh, Mauricio Laura, I mean, when he fights, things happen. All right, he, he surprised a lot of people when he beat Josh Warrington. Then you had the, the accidental head clash and the rematch with Warrington. Here he fights Sanchez uh, and had some moments where he was getting tagged and comes out with a third-round knockout. Just spectacular. But for me, uh, the very two big staying points from the undercard, John, were more Mauricio Lara and a lot more of Charlie Sheehy. What say you? Yeah, uh, Laura, that was a hell of a fight, dude. I mean, uh, they said, or someone said, or I read, or I heard, or something, that he was susceptible to the body, and Sanchez tagged him to the body, and it seemed like it bothered him. So he was on his way to victory. He's such a brawler, you know, and he hits so damn hard. And, and you can tell that he's, he's, he's changed in a sense. His confidence is even bigger now, obviously, after he knocked out Josh Warrington. And the second fight... It was going to be a war also. So I, I think he basically proved in only like two rounds that what he did to Warrington the first time was no fluke. So that was a, that was a lot of fun. Uh, going back to the first card you're talking about, I was very interested in how Gabriel Flores would do. He, he's around, he's from around here, not far from where I am. And, and he got beaten his last fight. He got pummeled. So it was, he was saying that he had done this and made changes and all this. And, and, he looks better, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, he's like a young – he's young, but he, he doesn't have the strength to keep these uh, uh, stronger guys off him, and that's a problem. And uh, he got hit with some wicked shots, and I'm like, man, that's not good, especially when you're a boxer. You know, a boxer, your defense is supposed to be strong. You're not supposed to be getting hit with those solid punches. So he's obviously still making some mistakes. And then back on the zone again, uh, I had never seen uh, Suleiman Cisco, who's trained by Virgil Hunter, of course, so I was interested in that. I'd seen him in the gym, but I hadn't seen him fight, and that was a good fight, uh, Zoot. He was down. Uh, uh, they were both down, I believe, in round four, and then Cisco's uh, uh, a good boxer. He reminded me of Right, right. Right? Yeah, Roberto Valenzuela. And then Mark Castro. What was that? Yeah, oh yeah, uh-huh. Robert Valenzuela Jr. Right, that was that was a good fight. And then Mark Castro comes in like the star, you know, four and zero, and 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 uh, uh, he he's gonna whoop on Julio Madera, and Madera knocks him down in the second round. Right, and that's right. That's what makes boxing right. That's what makes boxing so great is you just you're sitting there, you oh well, this guy's gonna be five and zero here any second, and bam, and he was hurt. But he showed some resiliency. He got up and he, he pounded on Madeira pretty much within a couple of minutes. He was back in control. And you could see Madeira was like, God, that was my chance and I couldn't do it. So that was good for Castro. I mean, no fun to go down like that. No fun to get hit like that. But that's in boxing, that's one of those things that you have to experience to find out what you are. You know, can you come back? Can you, can you think in there when you're hurt? And he did. He held on a little bit until his head cleared, and he won. So that was that was a hell of a card. I, I really enjoyed the DAZN card. And then, of course, yeah, the main fight, Chocotino. Right, yeah, that fa- was, fabulous yeah. undercard, uh, DAZN. They do a yeah. good job. A lot of people on social media blast them, and I know they're getting 
uh, a lot of uh, pushback with the prices being raised yeah. and now pay-per-view charges and I get all that. And uh, yeah, so good. Yeah, from top to bottom, that, that zone card uh, delivered. Uh, and I, I did forget to mention one fight over on Plus, uh, the super middleweight battle between Javier Martinez and Dante Stubbs. That was a six-rounder. Uh, Martinez got knocked down. He was going in undefeated. Stubbs was the guy that started off 6-0, and was going into the fight. Uh, six and three, and he fought his ass off, uh, lost the close decision. Martinez was another guy, like you said, did a good job. Uh, after he got knocked down, he got up, and uh, he collected himself pretty well and went on to win a six-round decision. So that was another one that I forgot to mention. That was a good one. Yeah. Yes. Yes, for sure. And, and again, that's, that's a learning ground for fighters, and, and it happens to most of them uh, at some point, unless you you got a Rex Tex Cobb, uh, chin where you almost never or you never go down in his case i believe he never went down so maybe once but uh in this case uh uh it shows you what they're made of and it shows you how serious they are because sometimes guys get knocked down like that and they're lost and uh uh, these guys uh, uh rebounded well and 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 won their fight so that showed a lot yeah and i thought i can't the name escapes me right now but i also thought martinez was handled pretty well in between rounds uh, by his, uh, you know, corner. You already mentioned uh, Virgil uh, Hunter. Uh, yes. Yet all I hear is that there's no more good trainers. But I, I, week in and week out when they have these boxing uh, cards on, I, I, I see some pretty nifty work from the trainers. But, uh, you know, what, what yep. do I know? But uh, and you, you could say what do I know about these two main events, John, because I, I was hyping these up as, Two fight of the year candidates, no doubt about it. And I don't think either fight delivered on that front. Uh, so on that side of the coin, I was a little disappointed. But uh, the Neil McCauley side of things, still two really good performances by the winner in Chocolatito's uh, instance, a fabulous, outstanding performance. But let's yep. talk about the ESPN card first. Uh, Ramirez, Pedraza, uh, I predicted Pedraza to win. I was one and one in these uh, main events here. I, I thought Chocolatito would win. Uh, I thought Pedraza would win. I thought both fights would be close. And it was a little frustrating because I thought Pedraza could have won this fight. And I think if you ask anybody that watched this fight, who landed the harder flush shots, I, I think most people would have to say, if they're being brutally honest, that Pedraza clearly won the harder plus shots, but he didn't do nearly enough to get the victory. Uh, those really hard shots probably didn't come until the middle of the fight, and they were few and far between. And one of the biggest things for me was every time Pedraza did land with something very hard, he didn't really follow up. He stood and took a picture in most instances. And uh, Ramirez just outworked him. I thought he kept coming forward, uh, and and he outworked him. It wasn't a fabulous, outstanding, dominant performance by Ramirez, but uh, he outworked him, and I thought he won most of the rounds clearly. What did you think? Yeah, it was a typical Ramirez performance. That's how he fights. He he comes after you. He, He keeps his hands going. He's a busy fighter. He hits pretty hard. And he wins rounds that way. He's not flashy. 
he's a very determined guy, and, and he's, he's got ability. I think he's been underrated. Uh, if he hadn't been knocked down by Josh Taylor those couple of times, he was right there the whole time. And, and we know, well, not now people aren't so raving about Josh like they were, but he was right there against Josh Taylor, who was a big favorite, pretty much not a big favorite, but a favorite going in. So, yeah, a good win for Ramirez, a uh, good fight. I, I thought it was – I thought it was pretty close, too. I, I don't disagree. I thought Ramirez won it, but I didn't think that it was a, 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 a gimme. I thought it was uh, pretty competitive. And, yeah, you know, sometimes that happens, you know, like with Pedraza. You said, I got the same feeling years ago when I was watching Danny Jacobs against uh, Canelo. Where it seemed like if he had another uh, – a, a, a more of a sense of urgency, he might have won. You know, he might – if he did more, but he seemed like he was holding back or something. And you, you ask yourself – why? And it's like, well, yeah, how are you going to be when you got this guy throwing bombs at you? You're just going to go for it. And, and sometimes that happens with a fighter, and you just don't know because you're not in there with him. Something's going on that maybe if he was a little busier, a little more urgent, uh, he might have won the fight. But yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It's one of those great mysteries. It's, it's, I think it's a human being question, and some guys, they just can't get to that next level that they need at that moment to dig deeper and deeper and, and, and bring it in the last few rounds to maybe steal the decision or something. And, and uh, he was there, though. You're right. I mean, it seemed like if he stepped on the pedal a little bit, he might have been able to uh, surprise Ramirez. But, you know, that would be hard to win a decision. There's the, I mean, uh, Fresno, the Kmart Arena, that, mm-hmm. that, is, that is Jose Ramirez's home, home away from home. So it would have been, been hard right. to get a decision there. Yeah, because I, I was asking myself, and you, you kind of answered the question already, why is Pedraza stopping it to take a picture every time he seems to land a really good shot? Why is he not upping the work rate? Uh, is it because he's still feeling the effects of COVID? Is it because he's on the other side of his career? Or is it because Ramirez is doing what he's doing to dictate the pace and fight his fight? It sounds like you thought that the, there was the very last uh, possibility as to why uh, Pedraza was so, uh, I don't want to say lackluster, but uh, didn't throw as many punches as he needed to to win this fight. Yeah, I don't think it was COVID. I, I think it was Ramirez to, to a degree, but I think he might be past his prime too. That could be guys hesitate more, like you're saying, take a picture, pose. You know, and that's frustrating when you when it's like you, you, the trainer will say, throw more punches, more throw more punches. You need, you need to be more active. And, and, and the guy nods and everything. And it's like he wants to, but he hesitates. And, and you know you've got milliseconds in boxing if you hesitate. So I, 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 that was the impression I got, that he, he wasn't completely committed. That was part of it, too. That's the humidity. And that might have been because of Ramirez. Probably was because of Ramirez, because he's a stinging puncher. He, he stings guys. And then maybe a little bit slower than he used to be the sniper, and, and, and that's what cost him. So I lost. All righty. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Ramirez. It looks like Taylor is going to move up to 147. And I said on the show last week, even though I didn't think Taylor won the fight uh, against Catterall, it's unfortunate that we lose a four-belt champion so quickly but Ramirez will definitely be in the mix for one of those belts, I think, unless he decides to move up. And he's had an interesting career for me. Uh, I think he got the, for me anyway, he got the most positive 
press clippings in his loss to Taylor. I was most impressed with him then. I didn't think that he beat Zepeda. I didn't even think that he beat Postel. But in losing ever so slightly to Taylor in a great fight, I I was much more impressed with him in the loss. Uh, In a lot of ways, talking about the anniversary of the fight of the century, which was yesterday, up until that point, your guy Muhammad Ali, I I think, got a lot more credit in the first loss to Frazier than all the wins prior. Uh, And I I think that was the case with Ramirez. Here, uh, gets the win. I don't think anybody's disputing the win, but uh, is he going to be able to to hang with the best 140-pounders? And if he ever decides to move up to 147, that I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think with Ramirez, I think Ramirez will be one of those guys that you, you like in the sense that he can say, and you can say as a fight fan and, and as a scribe and all that, that he got the most of his talent. You know, whatever he was born with or whatever he has uh, created as for his own ability as a fighter, he's one of these guys that you're, you're going to say he got what he had and he made the most of what he has. And that's good because there are sometimes, maybe we mean Pedraza a little bit, where guys, they don't quite make the most of their talent. They, they, they utilize maybe 70% and they hold back a little and you don't know why. Ramirez is a hardworking, dedicated guy, totally sacrificing for his, his love of boxing. So that's good. He, he will lay it on the line and, and have no regrets as far as that goes. And that 140-pound division with uh, Tiafimo being there, uh, Tiafimo and Ramirez could fight. Uh, and that, that would be a heck of a fight. Uh, uh, I think the Rougarou, the, the man that we were just talking about, I think he's moving up to welterweight too. I think he's got a catchweight fight coming up. But uh, we've got some interesting possibilities at 140. Uh, uh, based on how Josh Taylor did in, against, I thought he lost too. By the way, to Caterell. By the way, I did. I thought I thought Caterell yeah. won that fight. Um, yeah, I thought uh, I thought he and, clearly won. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was closer maybe, but I thought Caterell won, and, and Josh looked completely off. And, and wow, that, that's another talk, discussion for a, another show, perhaps. But. The division is good. The 140 pound division and the 147. Gervonta uh, Davis is there, 140 also. So um, it, 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 it's extreme. The smaller guys are really what makes boxing rock nowadays. If, if you really are following it pretty closely. Yeah, the, the big issue with 140. It seems like the big big ones are moving up. Taylor, uh, I, I think Tiafimo's moving up. Uh, you mentioned already mentioned Progray. Uh, Tank Davis, I, I don't take him seriously uh, until he fights somebody uh, like a Josh Taylor and stops making these dopey excuses with Leonard, Leonard Elvita. Nobody knows who these guys are. Why should you know? He, he he's content getting his modest pay-per-view numbers against guys who he thinks are in as big a threat. Uh, maybe disagree with that, and I don't even think he really won his last fight, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I would love to see him fight these guys, but to me, the writing's on the wall that he has no interest in fighting a Tiafimo Lopez, a Pro Gray, a Josh Taylor. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather's running his career. You could say he's protecting him or being shrewd or, or whatever. I think uh, I thought he won that last fight. I did. I, he actually impressed me more in that fight. It, it was a tough fight can't remember the name of the, the tough Mexican that brought it and was in his grill the whole 12 rounds. Yeah, because, I, I said Cruz, right? and he, he was a replacement guy, too. 
That's right. That's right. And here's a guy named Tank who had the box. And it was a tight fight. He won, but it was very, to me, it was very close. And he showed a little bit more uh, versatility in his game. So I, I, I actually was more impressed with that. But he's got to fight somebody. You're right. He's got, I mean, the Leo Santa Cruz fight, you know, Leo was moving up, oh, my gosh, you know, two, three divisions. And, and, and Leo was right there with him until he got caught. So right. Tank, Tank Davis, is, I think he's a good fighter, but he does have to fight somebody who's not moving up two or three divisions or, or who, 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 who's, who's, who's ready for him. He's going to fight Romero, right. I guess, uh, right? And that, that that guy's, from what I've read, uh, uh, is a bit of a, a, a nutcase from some of the things I've seen him. A lot of legal trouble he's having, so. <laughs> that, too, that, too, and and, and he, he, it might be a really good fight in the sense that he, he's a real something else in the ring. He sticks his chin out, and he just starts brawling, so he'll probably get knocked out in the first round. But as far as, as long as it lasts, it might be pretty exciting. Yeah, and it's a shame, too, because I, I think Tank beats them all. I think Progray would give him the best fight, but I, I think he beats all those guys. He's got freakers, one-punch power. The, don't overlook the fact that he cracked Pedraza in half when nobody else could even came close to doing that. Uh, but uh, when he says things like nobody – well, actually, Lennon Ellaby is dopey mouth. He says things like nobody knows who Josh Taylor is. I just can't take him seriously. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I, I would think – uh, he would be. I would favor him in uh, almost against anybody, but he's not going to do it. That's the frustrating part. I love Tank, but uh, I, I got to be real. I got to be honest, and I got to be real and honest. So one last point about the ESPN Plus card, John, and uh, you probably did not feel this because you're a West Coast guy, but uh, they dragged this out so badly. I mean, it started at 7:15 p.m. Eastern time, uh, uh, and uh, the undercard. And they did not put the main event on until after midnight. And they kept dragging and they kept dragging. And they had good fights. I'll give them that. But they, there was too much drag time. They kept re- repeating the same pieces. How many times do we have to see the same interviews with Robert Garcia and Jose Ramirez? How many times do we have to see the piece about Ukraine? Uh, what a way to get everybody down and depressed, by the way, by, by showing that Ukraine uh, piece over and over again and right before the main event. Uh, they just dragged it out. I wonder how many people uh, lasted who started at the beginning like me here on the East Coast. The West Coast, it probably didn't matter because it was still early. And, uh, you know, there are those people who just watch the main event anyway. But I thought ESPN Plus and Top Rank did it horrendous job of moving that show along. They've done that before, dude. And, and yeah, I'm on the West Coast, but I'm talking, I'm talking to the TV going, would you just get to it, please? God, you know, and it's like, why are you guys padding? What do you got, five hours, six hours? Do you got to fill this up? And it, it drives me crazy because I'm a grouchy mm. old man now. And, it, and I'm like, come on, we don't, like you just said, you said it perfectly. We don't need to see this interview again. I guess they're figuring that people are coming in and out, right? That they're not like us diehards where we, we watch it from the beginning. They think people are coming in the middle, so they got to repeat this interview. And I, I just turn the volume down and just go do something else while they're doing this now because I, I just throw my hands up, and I, I, I absolutely hate it. I, I, I don't like uh, – I'm going to be very blunt here. I don't like uh, uh, the commentating on ESPN at times. I think they go over the top. Joe Tessitore, who uh, applies on like us, but 
he gets too too excited. It's something that drives me crazy. I don't like that. And and uh, Bradley and Andre Ward are okay, especially Andre Ward. He's very good, but uh, it just it's irritating. And and I I don't think they're helping by what they're doing. I think it, it, I wish they would tighten everything up. Like I love the HBO shows because uh, in, in that respect, uh, it's fun seeing the whole card, but. Sometimes you just you don't want to. You just want to see three or four fights. And, and HBO would do that. They'd have three fights, and, and they wouldn't pad. They'd have one, another one, and another one. Boom. So it would be over in an hour and 45 minutes, not nine hours and 25 minutes. So I, I, don't, I don't know what the thinking is. The uh, uh, zone does much better. They pad a little, too. Uh, they padded last week with uh, uh, Chocolatito's fight a little. I think they were having some technical difficulties, which were very irritating. But uh, not as bad. And then if you watch fights from England, they don't really pad. And, and when they do, it's at least a little bit more interesting. They're not showing the same film over yeah. and over again, even though the announcers, again, are such homers for their England guys. It drives me crazy. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why, what they think, why they think that is so good to bore people for a number of hours. It's not building up the main event. Main event. It's making you aggravated. At least it makes, that's how it makes me. Yeah, I mean, over here on the East Coast, by the time the fight ended, it was after 1 in the morning. Uh, and, uh. yeah, I mean, all those other uh, services that show uh, virtually the entire undercard keep it moving a lot faster. Most of the time, they're yeah. doing one fight right after another. If you cover fights and you get there uh, right at the start, it's one fight right after the other. I mean, I don't know why they, they, they do that, but uh, let's not uh, – uh, hop on it anymore. Let's talk about something more positive, which is Ramon Chocolatito Gonzalez with a spectacular performance over Julio Cesar Martinez. A dominant performance. I, I had uh, Martinez, uh, as I should say, Gonzalez winning this fight. I, I thought this was this was a case where the guy with the experience would win. I know a lot of guys automatically do that uh, when it's a young guy and a more more of a veteran type. Sometimes I do that. I thought in this case, the guy with the experience was certainly going to prevail. I even thought he might have gotten a late stoppage. And at, at certain points in that fight, you might have thought that would happen. But it, it's just amazing how so many people were saying this guy was shot after he got smashed out by Soaring Visai in the rematch. I did not feel that way. I just thought Soaring Visai was that good and he had his number and he hit that hard. Uh, I think by now, though, he obviously proved that uh, he is not shot. He That was an all-time uh, performance from an all-time great fighter. And fighting in 2022, go figure. An all-time great fighter fighting in 2022. Am I allowed to say that, John J. Responte? Because that's what I think of, as Roy Jones Jr. would say, Chocolate Tito. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chocolate Tito is one of the best. He's I don't like to throw the term great around very much because I think it's overused, but he's a great fighter. And I also, I was one of those who thought when he got knocked out like that, that I didn't think it was done for him, but I thought, oh my gosh, how can he come back? And he has come back and he's 34 going on 35. And he, he is just such a professional in there. He is what the epitomizes the sweet science. He, he, he fights hard. He hits pretty hard, but his defense, the way he rolls, the way he uses angles, his mind, I mean, this guy, uh, Gonzalez, I had seen him blast out Charlie Edwards a few years ago in England, and it was a, it was just, he just rolled over him, and I knew that he hit really hard. But he, he, he hit Chocolatito a few times, but it really didn't have any, any, any effect on, 
on uh, on Chocolatito, and then the Chocolatito just went back to what he was doing, which was just pounding on the kid. And and 27 years old, Gonzalez, 34. Uh, Chocolatito, he's especially a small guy like that. As you know, historically, small guys don't usually uh, last this long like him. But if you if anyone ever had any doubt about his greatness, and I really hope nobody did, the way he has come back from the Rungasai knockout loss and done what he's done. I thought he beat Estrada actually in their fight uh, last too. year. Yeah, he is an all-time great. You're absolutely right. He he is. Mm. He doesn't get enough credit for how great a fighter he is. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of times we don't agree on these decisions, and that probably means Estrada won clearly. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, Martin, it was a little bit of a downer for me because Martinez uh, was coming up and weight. It was a replacement fight. Uh, it was supposed to be the uh, trilogy with Estrada. Now I was all in, and I thought this is a great even fight. But it was a little bit of a downer when Martinez, the guy moving up, uh, couldn't make weight. Uh, that that kind of, you know, that didn't happen when I was on the air last week. But when I saw that, I was like, oh. And I don't want to take away that from uh, from Gonzalez whatsoever. But it certainly kind of uh, was a downer for me with with the fight going into it. I was like, uh, I wasn't as excited as, as is always the case for me when a guy doesn't make weight. Yeah. It's disappointing. You wonder if he was doing, if he's doing that to try to have a little advantage and see was the guy moving up and weigh a little bit more. But again, Chocolatito, see that's the thing about him too. He didn't have to take this fight when Estrada had COVID and couldn't fight. He, he didn't have to fight this young, hard hitting, hot shot that me too. I thought this was going to be tough. I gave, Chocolatito the edge, but just barely. I thought the guy might catch him and and hurt him, and and he could have turned him down. But he is the epitome of what a real fighter is. He'll fight anybody. Hell, he's thinking about he's talking about moving up to fight the monster. So I mean, he is. And no matter if you agree with that or disagree, the guy is a real fighter. He wants to fight, and it, it really doesn't matter who it is. He might have a few names in, that he brings up, but he just you say, okay, you're going to fight him. Okay. I'll be ready, and, and and that's how he does it. Yeah, now I heard Donaire, uh, which I think is the more realistic option for him. Uh, but I mean, I, I I don't think he would back off from a fight with Inouye <laughs> if it came up. So we'll see what happens in the future. A lot of people do want to see that third fight with Estrada as well. I mean, the world is his yep. oyster. I I think, yeah, in honor of Roy Jones Jr. and our Hall of Famer, Chocolate Tito. Uh, can sign his and, and write his own check. Whatever he wants to do, he's going to do. Yep. He can. He can, and he deserves it. He's earned it. And uh, something uh, kind of like Manny Pacquiao, you know, when Manny got knocked out by Jose, uh, Jose Manuel Marquez, there was a lot of doubt whether he'd be able to come back as strong as he did, and he did. So some guys just can. Some guys can't when they get knocked out in such a devastating fashion. I mean, that was shocking. And you remember he had lost previous fight to Rungasai. Very close decision, though. I, I was a little surprised when he lost the decision in that one, I think, but I didn't really have a problem with it. I was just like, hmm, I thought the champion. It was yeah, draw, maybe. Uh, a lot right? of people thought uh, Gonzalez won that first fight. I thought Rungasai edged him as well, but a lot of yeah, the second I, I fight we problem. agree on. Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it. it, it really, I like Rungasai a lot. I, he's, a, he's another guy that 
build his career from nothing. But Gonzalez was looking a little sluggish to me, and especially in the second fight. So that's why I was thinking, oh man, he's on the back nine, right? But but then I heard them say that he's got a, he he after that fight he, he took a break and he got a nutritionist and he he kept his weight down. I guess he had a tendency to balloon up. And then as you get older, you know, you gain like 30 pounds, 40 pounds, and then you cut it off, try to lose it, and, and stay sharp, you can be sluggish. And he did look sluggish in those two fights, and then when he came back, he did not look sluggish. So I think that is part of it. And then the fact that the guy is obviously just a brilliant athlete that can come back and, and maintain his skill level like this and, and, and fight the way he does. He, he's extraordinary. He is. And that's not overrating him. He's an extraordinary fighter. Indeed, indeed. Now, uh, you know, uh, shout out to uh, the fighters of today here. Uh, we talked about Gonzalez uh, taking on uh, Martinez in, in a replacement fight that was viewed just as tough as, as the original fight. And, and we saw that with Quadras uh, a couple of weeks ago when Renvisai couldn't fight and uh, he decided to face Jesse Bam Rodriguez. Yep. Didn't work out for Quadros. Worked out for Gonzalez, but uh, uh, to me, a really good statement on the boxers of today. And, you know, I have to always point that kind of stuff out because it's so, uh, it's usually not so much yourself, but it's always uh, usually on the other side of the spectrum with a lot of these uh, people and a lot of, uh, especially people on social media where, you know, throw dirt on the current state of boxing any way you can. Well, you're not really paying attention if that's what you're doing. Yeah. But uh, now it is time to go back in time a little bit, but there is homage to a lot of current fighters as well. As we talk about the next segment, we're going to go right into it. Cause I know you don't have that much time. Uh, the ring magazine anniversary issue, hundred anniversary issue. And they decided to list the top 100 fighters. Now to me, it was a very interesting list. When I first looked at it, I did it probably like anybody else who had the magazine. I didn't bother to read the criteria ahead of time. And I was looking at the list, and I kind of thought it was a little peculiar. Uh, what? No Ray Leonard in the top five. No Harry Grebman in the top five, which is perfectly okay with me. Uh, anytime you have a, a, a ranking where Jose Napoles is ranked ahead of uh, Ray Leonard and uh, Harry Grebismont there. I, I'm all for it. But uh, then I realized why. I mean, no Jack Dempsey. Uh, it, it was this very specific list. It was a list of work product based on the Ring Magazine rankings, which started in February of 1925. So that's why Jack Dempsey is not there at all. That's why Harry Greb performed only at number 76 because he just wasn't enough time for him. You know, most of his career was before that. So what it was was these fighters, as they were ranked in the Ring Magazine rankings, and a scoring system was developed based on performances against other fighters ranked in the ring magazine rankings so if you look at it through that and it's just work product you should have less of a problem with it i mean it's not discriminatory they don't uh 
distinguish? Is one era better than another? Is one number one contender better than the other? Basically, if you were the champion and you in this system, if you were the champion and you beat a guy that was the number one ranked guy, you received 10 points. If you beat a guy that was a champion, you received 11 points. If you beat a guy that was ranked 10, you received one point and so on and so forth. So they didn't look at it like, you know, and I'll I'll use my guy, who I think is still the greatest of all time, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. When he fought Obo Mahias the second time around, Obo Mahias pretty much didn't really do anything to get that number one ranking other than being favored by the WBA. But nevertheless, Marvin, who just wanted to keep his belts, fought him as the number one guy and got the 10 points in this system. And, you know, didn't take into consideration maybe somebody a little tougher from somebody else as a number one contender and get more points. So for me and for that, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting, and I'm not a big fan of lists. Uh, but this was not pound for pound. This was not the best fighters of all time. They make that clear in the print. They and they've gotten a lot of uh, negative feedback in the other uh, magazines, uh, you know, the editorials or whatever. And Fisher uh, basically, you know, said a lot of people are not understanding it. And they basically said that they felt that the ring was the best in the business at compiling rankings since 1925, and that's why they use that list as the primary target. So uh, before I – but some of the interesting uh, turnouts for me from 26 to 100, guys that didn't make the top 25, were Carlos Monzon, the murderer, Oscar De La Hoya, Monzon came in at 26, De La Hoya came in at 27, and uh, Larry Holmes came in at uh, 31. And all of those guys were champions for a long time, but they didn't crack the top 25. And I have a couple of reasons why. But overall, what was your impression of the list? Well, yeah, I... I, uh... I read the criteria and I, I, I got what they were uh, doing. Uh, obviously, they think their rating system is the best, and that's fine. They can feel that way, so they're going to use their own rating system. Makes sense. But I, I it's still, it's kind of gray to me because I, I look at the top twenty. You're right, Carlos Monzon. That was a surprise. Lennox Lewis is ranked forty-two, which is hmm, something of a surprise. Uh, uh, Joffrey, the great fighter, he, he's 39. And then you go to the top 25, and I see uh, a guy that doesn't seem to get the love that he deserves, at least in my view, uh, a guy who held three titles simultaneously, Henry, Ham, Homicide Henry, Hank Armstrong. He's ranked 17. And I know you can you can say all you want about uh, who, who, who he was, the number one guy, the number two guy, whatever. But I don't know. I, I think it, you, it, you, you get demoted in a sense when you shouldn't be uh, because of that. I, I mean, I get that, but here's a guy with three titles at the same time. And, and it's hard for me to look at him as number 17 based on what he accomplished. The top three, Ray Robinson, Joe Lewis, Muhammad Ali, 
that's usually how it is, even when they go pound to pound. Some, most, a lot of times, though, it's Ali second. The debate of Ali and Joe Lewis be, will go on forever. Tony Canzanieri, number four, that was very interesting. And Emil Griffith, number five, a fighter I really liked. That was interesting. And then there's Floyd Mayweather, number six, and Willie Pep, number seven, as a Charles Pacquiao. So it's a it's a it's a it's an interesting list. And right when you read, you go, okay, it makes a little bit more sense when you read it. But I I don't know. I I, I think just it might be a little too narrow because they're using their own rankings. I get why they're doing it. I understand intellectually, but that that means you have to agree with what how they had the fighters ranked then so they could calculate the list and some of the modern fighters uh, Donald Curry 82 Andre Ward 84 Eric Morales 85 uh, uh Ruben Oliveira 68 uh, you know it, it, it uh, again I get it Rocky Marciano 54 uh you know I, I and I know the controversy about him with the he fought guys he couldn't help it if they were older I get that but it just it just <laughs> It just is like kind of a, like a, a head shaker in a way. Like, oh, okay, I get what you're doing, but mm, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about it, uh, and they don't do this from 26 to 100, which I wish they did. You know, they the top 25 fighters, they give you each guy that they fought and how they earned points, which were ranked, right? And uh, like Marciano, when he fought Joe Lewis, he was ranked number three. And I think Joe Lewis was ranked high. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where. He might even have been number one or two, something like that. And that, that's always mm-hmm. a fight. Like, oh, that fight don't count. The, you know, so-and-so is past. But they, they were both ranked high in those guys. So you, you, you just wonder. Some of them, you're right, doesn't make much sense. But a guy like Monzon uh, probably makes sense to me because I don't know. I think it's obvious that he didn't rank higher because a lot of the guys he beat, uh, when defining the title, weren't ranked in the top two or three, most likely. Uh, same thing with Larry Holmes. I mean, uh, one of his best wins against Tim Witherspoon was when Witherspoon was sort of coming up. I, I doubt he was ranked number one or two when he fought Spoon, so he loses points there. He fought a lot of guys like Lucien Rodriguez and, and Scott Frank that might not even have been ranked at all. If they were, they, they definitely weren't in the top three. Uh, you know, so uh, so those guys kind of make sense to me. Uh, you know, and at the end of the day, the cream always rises to the top, right? What list does not have Ray Robinson won? This one does as well. Uh, a couple of guys yeah. that are still active are, are Roman Gonzalez, and with the, the, this win against Martinez, he gets more points. I, I don't think they'll ever do anything like this again, but uh, the monster is also on the list as well. I don't know if there's any other guys that are truly active right now, but uh, oh, Donaire. Donaire is ranked 61. So, yeah, Golovkin yeah. as well. Golovkin is here too. So, and yeah. Canelo. Canelo was there too. Okay. Canelo yeah, is 37. I, I always forget about Canelo. Yeah, and he, he probably ranks up the list. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, and my guy Hagler didn't get any points for beating any of those Philadelphia guys because they, at the time of the fight, they were not in the ring rankings, although they were in the top 10 of the ring rankings at other points. Uh, 
the 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 wins yeah. against and and the draw against Sugar Ray Seals. He didn't get any points, and this is in the magazine. They say that that's how I know it. Uh, it, it he didn't get any points for beating Seals because at the time of the Seals fight, they weren't ranked, even though they were ranked later. So there, 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 there's a lot to criticize. There's a lot to point out. Like hey hey, but I I think it's interesting that the top three or four would be the way a lot of people. Uh, would see it, and 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 I, and I just love whenever Mayweather ranks high on any list because that drives all the old menitis guys crazy. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, May, May, Mayweather, for whatever you want to say about him, uh, you know, he did fight and beat a lot of champions and a lot of ranked guys up until those last few fights. Yeah, absolutely, and and and. Uh... I, I was surprised when I saw him at six, probably because I saw Ray Leonard at 19, and I always thought Ray Leonard was a better fighter than Floyd Mayweather. But uh, when I understood the criteria, I go, okay, yeah, he was 49 and 0. I don't count that fiasco exhibition as his 50th no. win. That's that's ridiculous. I I actually liked it that Pacquiao was ranked nine, even though I don't know if I agree with it. Uh, he, he had over 70 fights. He fought champion after champion. I got that. Archie Moore, the old mongoose, you know, he fought everybody. There's Julio Cesar Chavez, Chavez Bernard Hopkins, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Jose Nopoles, yeah. I hadn't seen his name in a long time, so it was kind of nice to see. He doesn't seem to get very much respect. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, Sweet Pea, Pernell Whitaker. So it, it's one of these lists that perhaps if they, they wanted, they, they, they would get a lot of debate. Uh, because uh, people oh, would and the letters are falling in. I mean, uh, I know okay. you don't uh, subscribe to the ring anymore, but the letters are flowing in. But the the reading a lot of the criticisms from the letters uh, makes me think they didn't spend time reading how the the list came to be, what the criteria yes. was. I always want to yes. know your criteria. It's not pound for pound, right? It, it's not all time great. So right. that's a that's a little different. And they don't take into consideration, you mentioned Pacquiao. A lot of people thought that he beat Bradley and he beat Jeff Horn. And he didn't get credit yeah. for wins either. If he got credit for wins there, that he would have probably been higher on the list because there was a lot more points that he lost. And they don't take that into consideration at all with this list. It's all solid numbers. Uh, so yeah. – uh, let, you know, I don't know how many people uh, have the list and who are listening. All six of you, if you uh, are interested, so as we already said, Robinson one, Joe Lewis two, Ali three. Here's one that drove a lot of people crazy, even old men people. Tony Canzanari at four. But if you look at all the fights and if you list all the, if you see all the fights that he got credit for and points for, it's quite a bit. He fought a lot of guys that were ranked. Uh, Mio Griffith, five, Mayweather, six, Pep, seven, uh, as a Charles, eight, Pacquiao, nine, Archie Moran's out the top ten. Then you have Chavez. I think you mentioned mo- mostly everybody. Bernard Hopkins, 12, Jimmy McLarnon, 13. Roy Jones Jr., I don't think was mentioned. He was 14. Napoli's 15, who, who to me is probably uh, one of the best welterweights of all time. I'd put him up against Ray yep. Leonard any day of the week. Uh, Whitaker, 16, uh, who I think is probably the best lightweight. Uh, and Armstrong, you could get an argument with Armstrong. So the, those two guys are side-by-side, side, 16 and 17. 
Ike Williams, 18, Leonard, 19, Holyfield, 20, Carlos Ortiz, another guy I don't think we mentioned yet, 21. Yeah. Another great lightweight. Or Alexis Arguello, another person nobody would mistake another than a, a legend, 22. Marvin at 23. And I already talked about some of the points Marvin lost, why he wasn't higher. 24 and 25, you go back in time too. Young Corbett, the third, was 24. And Sammy Engoth was 25. Uh, one name that I was really surprised, and we didn't mention him yet, is Duran. He only came in at 33. Uh, and again, it's because I think a lot of those guys that he fought as a lightweight champion were not highly ranked. The Lou Bizarros of the world, uh, the, the the Lampkins of the world, those guys might not have really deserved title shots. They were given title shots, but the, I don't think they, they definitely weren't number one or two guys when he fought them. So he lost points there. Yeah, and, and Smoke and Joe, I see him ranked at 79. I know he only had, what, 36 fights, and, and he, he fought some guys that weren't number one or two, like after he, he beat Ali the first time he fought right. He fought the late uh, Ron Sander and Terry Daniels, He fought who have both passed away now. He fought them, and you know they weren't ranked that high. So I guess that hurt him. But then he turns around and he fights the number one guy, George Foreman, uh, do I see George Foreman's name anywhere here? I don't think I do, right? George Foreman, is his, is his name here, or are my Foreman eyes failing? Foreman is not on the list. He was one of those mm. guys that uh, really uh, – but if you think about it, uh, who did he beat, right, that, right. that would be highly ranked, right? In his – criteria, he, right. He, he beat Frazier. He beat Norton. Did he beat a lot of – Ranked guys before getting the title yeah. shot? I don't know. And then Ron he Lyle. obviously Lyle, right? Uh, some of those guys, maybe Scott Ledoux was ranked high. Uh, uh, he lost to Jimmy Young, uh, then didn't fight. And then yeah. a lot of the guys that he fought in his comeback couldn't have been ranked high. Uh, so, so there you go. Yeah. I mean, he, the guys he fought yeah. when he was when he finally did become champion, he probably didn't get a lot of points for those guys either. You know, got the points for beating Mora. Uh, I don't know. When he fought Morrison, I think that might have been for a vacant title. So I don't know how that would work. Yeah. I guess wherever Morrison was ranked, uh, you would have, Morrison might have been ranked number one, but I'm not sure. But uh, the, the opportunities it, but... to yeah. compile a lot of points, you know, he, he only had, yeah. who, and, and what was Roman yeah, his other title defense. What was he ranked when he fought him? He couldn't have been a number one contender. No, no, no way, no way. Yeah, I mean that. See, now when we talk about it like that with George Foreman, it, it makes sense. But again, it's a bit narrow because uh, those guys might not have been ranked high in the ring, but they might have been ranked higher in some of the other bodies that people hate. And right. I agree about those bodies, but. Uh, it was a very clever way to do it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. obviously the Ring magazine, so they used their rankings, like I've already said. So that was the best way to do it for them, for their for their product. So, uh, but I think you're right. I think a lot of people just didn't get it and didn't understand it, and then they didn't like where they saw their favorite fighters. Mm-hmm. Our good friend Jimmy, uh, I mean, our good friend Jerry Fitch is going to love that Jimmy Bivens is ranked number 47. Uh, uh, he, he, I'm sure he loved that. Jerry might even say, "Yeah, he'd be even higher than that." But there he is, and then that's good for Jimmy. Uh, uh, so, it, it, but I, I'm not a big fan of lists either. 
Uh, but I, I will admit that this one was um, kind of quirky in a sense that it was different and, and it, it didn't bore me like some of the other ones. I looked at it because I was going, hmm, hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and I understood mm-hmm. what they were doing. But uh, uh, so, you know, hats off to them for creating something that was quite different. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if they made a pound-for-pound pound list uh, or an all-time great list, guys like Grab and Foreman, would, uh, I'm pretty sure Ring Magazine would put them on there and, and fairly high, especially a guy like uh, Harry Greb. So, uh, you, you know, you have to look at it like that. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, Harry Greb is a lot older than Ring Magazine, so there's, there's not much you could do. Uh, did I, I think I forgot. Did I mention Ike Williams? He he was yes. eighteen. I did mention him. Okay, yeah. he was eighteen. He came right. A, 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 lot dad, uh, <laughs> a lot of lightweights on the list. A lot of lightweights in the top twenty-five, and Duran's not one of them. Yeah, my dad loved Ike Williams. He loved. Oh, him. I he love him, him too. Yeah, he did. Okay, he saw him in Chicago a few times shooting pool, and he he always talked about what a nice guy was and everything, and the toothpick in his mouth as he's shooting pool, and and what a great fighter he was, and. See, that's the part that's good is that some of these names that you don't see who people have forgotten about, seeing them higher up is good. I mean, I don't see Carlos Ortiz's name uh, on, on a very many lists, and it was like, oh, yeah, of course, Carlos Ortiz. I don't know. Again, I don't know if I agree with how where he's ranked, but I like seeing his name because these guys were uh, fabulous fighters, and they deserve all the respect in the world. Yeah, I, you know, obviously I didn't see him fight, but I, I, the, the the footage I've seen on Ike Williams, I, it's from phenomenal. The only downside with Ike Williams yeah. is he, he fought at a time that was controlled by the mob, so you, you don't know exactly right. uh, if it, how genuine his work product is. And from what I've read, he, he's mentioned a couple of uh, that. You know, I don't know if it's proven or not, but uh, he's had he had to take some fight. He had to, he had to take dives in some fights. Uh, and yeah. uh, there's a little debate about if that's actually true or not, but that was what the error was. And who knows, some guys he beat, maybe they had to take dives. But in, in terms yeah. of skill set, if you ever see him on film, he was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and uh, uh, he he beat uh, Bo Jack. I see Bo Jack is on the list. He's ranked number 40, and I believe he's beat him a couple of times, I believe. So, uh, again, it's just nice to see – Names like that. I like seeing Bob Foster moving way up for some years. Bob was one of my favorite fighters when I was younger. Watching him demolish the light heavyweights was always with that incredible left hook. Vincenti Saldivar, uh, he, he was fun. Uh, Lou Ambers, uh, trained by Harry Wiley Sr., who trained Sugar Ray. I just love seeing these names, again, that you don't see. And it's nice to see Benny Lynch. It's nice to see... Uh, them getting their due. Yeah, and they even address the weight classes. Uh, so when you mentioned, uh, I'm looking at the uh, scoring results for Ike Williams when he beat uh, Bo Jack. Bo Jack was ranked fifth, but he was ranked fifth five weight classes above. There's a plus sign next to his ranking. So they, if you fought a guy that was uh, weight class ranked in a weight class under you. There's a minus next to a number, and if it's, it's a plus next to the number, if they're in mm-hmm. a higher weight class. So when Ray Robinson beat Lamada, there was a plus because Lamada was mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, weight class above, right? So, uh, well, yeah. I mean, maybe not five weight classes above, but he, he was ranked fifth, but he was ranked fifth in a higher weight class, Bojack. Uh-huh. Freddie Dawson, yeah. another guy that Williams beat, was ranked two, but in a higher weight class. Johnny Bratton was ranked four, but in a higher weight class. Charlie Salas yeah. was ranked six, but in a higher weight class. So, uh, Tippy Larkin was ranked second, but in a higher weight class. So, uh, Sammy Agnet was ranked fourth, but in a higher weight class. That, that's, a too, lot of, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot of guys that Williams beat that were ranked and ranked in a higher weight class. So that's why he made it all the way to 18. Yeah, that really says a lot. I mean, it's nice hearing those names again, like I said. And that, if that doesn't prove the point, nothing will. Because he, he, those guys were all – most of those guys you all mentioned were really – I mean, I should say all of them were really good fighters, especially Bo Jack. And, and uh, it was a very impressive list that he beat. I mean, he was on a right. roll for a while, and he, he hung around. I mean, Johnny Bratton was another guy that my dad absolutely loved. He he was from Chicago, so, of course, my dad saw him. He saw him all the time. Johnny, I guess, had a uh, white Cadillac that he drove around downtown Chicago, and, and the kids would see him and chase after him, and, and uh, he loved him. And, and uh, he's not on the list, but I, I certainly understand why. But, yeah, Ike Williams, it's just again, it's just nice to see that name. Uh, and him to get some love. Yeah, I, I would think that, uh, I don't know in what order, but all due respect to the hands of stone, I, I would personally rank Whitaker, Williams, and Armstrong. I don't know in exactly what order, but my personal rankings would be, I would rank all three of those guys ahead of Duran as lightweights. I, I know you got to go, but real quick, now, uh, so the, so what, when looking at Leonard, Leonard probably didn't get as high because he just didn't have enough fights, right? This is the one yeah. list where, you know, Leonard is, is, you know, less than 40 fights costed him. But uh, so he has wins. Uh, he has a lot of ranked wins against guys in higher weight classes. So now it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, so Marcus Geraldo was ranked fifth. And there are two pluses next to Geraldo's name, so I'm assuming that means he was two weight classes of love and uh, uh, what Leonard was at wealth. And obviously, Geraldo was a middleweight. And Donnie Lalonde was ranked four yeah. when Leonard beat him, and he has also has two pluses uh, ahead of him. But, there, you know, there's, uh, after he beat Benitez, he doesn't have a whole lot of uh, opportunities to get points, and that's probably why he's not where he usually is on most people's list. Yeah, and, and real quick, I, I probably I'm looking at Andre Ward. He only had 32 fights in his career. I mean, he was in the Super Six, and and they were supposed to all be ranked pretty high. And I know Kessler was ranked pretty high, and maybe not in the ring though. See, so that's where it hurts you. They they might not have been ranked that highly in the in in the ring, and and Carl Froch too, and. And he fought Alan Green, so who knows where those guys were? Uh, then he met he met Chad Dawson, he beat him, and he moved up right to light heavyweight. So there's that. But 32 fights and another week and and other uh, ratings or rankings. Uh, if it's not the ring, then it's it's obviously going to uh, uh, be you're going to get penalized in a sense. But again, that's the criteria, and so you you how you can't really argue with the criteria since they're putting it forth the way it is and. It does make sense when you you explain it in that way. 
Yeah, the only thing that the only downside is after the top twenty five, they don't give you the fights that earn the points. So you don't know where mm. these where these guys were ranked. Uh, you would have to go back and, uh, and look somehow. I mean, only people that have every single <laughs> ring magazine could go back and, and do that. But uh, you know, who has time to do that? Even if you have every ring magazine, but and I know a lot of guys stopped collecting the ring once the nineties hit, and uh, you know. So, that's where Ward got all his fights, but uh, you know, in the Ring Magazine, obviously they've been around forever. They, they've been the gold standard. They want to toot their own horn, and they obviously did with yep. their rankings. But keep in mind, they were the uh, organization, the magazine that was still calling Michael Spence the heavyweight champion of the world up until his fight with Tyson. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So it's, it, you, you, things have to be qualified, I guess. You, if you take things perhaps with a little grain of salt and realize that this is their, their, their baby, their ranking, and right. then agree or disagree. If you don't agree with where they have a particular guy, if you look it up, then in a sense their whole argument goes out the window. But they're not trying to change your mind. They're just telling you how they did it and how they came about it. And, and there it is. You don't have to agree, and that's that's we rarely do anyway. So there you go. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously very time consuming. And speaking of time, I know you said that you probably have to go. Uh, right, it's a yes. little after eight, but thank you for staying on. So uh, what do you want to say in closing? What do you got going on? And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Well, I, I just wrote something on Ron Stander, who we just mentioned. Uh, I mentioned fought Joe Frazier, and, and Ron, I was lucky enough to meet Ron. He came out here where I live, and we had coffee with his, with his sweet wife, uh, Toddy, I did. And, and I wrote a little personal account of that because he died, like I said, a couple of days ago. And that's going to be on Max Boxing. Bill Tibbs has a, 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 little, a, a little thing on, uh, on Ron. And, and, and then, of course, I always have to mention the books, even though you did so kindly in the beginning. They're all on Amazon, Intimate Warfare, about Gotti and Ward, and then uh, uh, Blood on My Notebook, My Own Experiences. And then the one that we were so thrilled with how you liked it, maybe I can coax you into reading Blood on My Notebook someday too. So, and uh, talk about that. But a few more rounds was just a, a, a heartfelt uh, experience with Jerry Fish. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm so fortunate. I said it the last time that I, I got a good friend, a great friend out of that whole experience. And somehow – even with that, we produced a pretty good product. So they're all on Amazon. The reviews have been wonderful, and uh, yeah, it makes you feel good. So, yeah, anyone else wants to get them, they're there on Amazon. Yeah, I, I have blood on my notebook. Uh, obviously, you sent it to me personally. It's in the queue, as is Jerry Fitch's new book. They're in the queue, and when I do read them, we'll, we will discuss them. No doubt about it. Okay. But, uh, th- thank you. Uh, anything else you want to say in closing? Well, no, just always a pleasure, Zoot. I mean, I love to talk of boxing with you, and you talk about me eating, breathing, and sleeping boxing. I, I think you-, you get less sleep than I do when it comes to this stuff. So uh, keep doing a great job. And uh, like I always like to say, anytime you want to do this, let's do it. Yeah, we got some exciting fights coming up. We'll definitely – have you back on uh, for that, especially April. A- a- April is uh, yep. tremendous, so uh, looking forward to having you on again. I'll, I'll let you know exactly when, but uh, until then, enjoy the rest of your evening. You too. Take care. Thanks, thanks again. All righty. So there you go. So uh, definitely a great uh, discussion, and 
So that, and based on the letters that the, the Ring magazine is getting about the list, the, the list did its job. It got attention. It got people talking about it, boxing fans talking about it. And, you know, it, I, before all you Roberto Duran fans uh, get mad at me, you know, I'm talk, just talking about as a body of work, as a lightweight. To me, Whitaker, Williams, and Armstrong are just slightly above them, above uh, Duran. And Duran fought a lot of guys, defended his belt against a lot of guys who, uh, you know, if you want to talk about Hagler's uh, defenses uh, as middleweight, you know, uh, other than the Jesus who might have been uh, a little bit overrated, and obviously the champ you can, and uh, Durant didn't beat that many great lightweights. Let's be honest. I mean, come on. But anyway, let's go now to this date in boxing history, and then we'll talk a little bit about the big fight that's coming up this weekend. So this date in boxing history, we're going to cover March 9th as well as March 10th. And March 9th, 1945, Rocky Graziano stops Billy Arnold in the third round going into this fight. Uh, Graziano was 36, 6, and 5. Billy Arnold was 29, 1, and 1. Arnold was actually the favorite going into this fight. So a big win by Mr. Graziano in a fight where he was uh, considered the underdog. Uh, you, you just wonder if uh, all these all these sports books that are now and how much uh, sports betting is a big part of not only boxing but all of these uh, sports telecasts. You wonder what the the coverage would have been in that fight. I don't know exactly what the odds were, but I know going in, Arnold was the favorite. Also on that card, Gennaro wins an eight point, uh, uh, sorry, an eight round decision on points against Monty Pignator. And Tony Gennaro is worth mentioning for anybody who loves the, the film The Raging Bull. Tony Gennaro was a big part of uh, the storyline. Uh, in that fight, uh, you know, he ain't pretty no more. Uh, but uh, the interesting about that, uh, I, I think the Scorsese and the filmmakers took a lot of liberties with that fight with Tony Gennaro. First of all, uh, if, unless I'm wrong, and I don't have it in front of me now, but when I read it, uh, the official fight, I, I think Lamata won a decision. He didn't stop Gennaro. And if you watch the movie The Ancient Bull, it looks like he beat. Gennaro to a pulp and, and, and kill them. Uh, and the other thing is that Gennaro only already had a couple of losses going into that fight with Lamada. The one thing that was true to real life was uh, Lamada did agree to go into that fight at 155 pounds. But on, on this date, Gennaro was victorious on in 1945. March 9, 1959, Archie Moore stops Sterling Davis in three rounds. Going into the fight, Archie Moore was 175, 21 and 9. Sterling Davis was making his pro debut. Now, apparently, Sterling Davis was some kind of a, a wrestler. Uh, so I, I guess his cachet as a wrestler got him a, a, a fight against the guy who had over 170 wins. March 9th, 1967, Jerry Quarry wins a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Brian London. These are those fights that I love to see. Uh, both of these guys were uh, 
heavyweight contenders. Uh, London uh, fought Ali for the title. Quarry fought Ali on a couple of occasions, as well as uh, many other big names. This was their first meeting. Uh, they fought again in 1969, and that time Quarry stopped London in the second round. Let's move over to March 10th. March 10th, 1979, Carlos Zarate defends his WBC Bantamweight title with a third round KO over John Kojo Mensha. Going into the fight, Zarate was, had a record of 52 and 1. Mensha's record was 1 and 4. Now, apparently, he he had a different record. The WBA was trying to say that his record was 45-2. and Uh, I don't know how you could fudge that many wins and not really realize that it wasn't true and this guy didn't deserve a title shot. The Bruce Tramplers of the world would have been proud. If you don't know about that, I'm not going to tell you. But uh, it didn't seem like this was a legitimate uh, record. I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that they didn't realize or know that going into the title shot, this guy was one and four. But who knows? I wasn't. I, I was around in 1979, but I was a baby. Uh, I was about. I think I was eight years old at that time. Uh, also on that on that date in a different venue, Danny Lopez knocks out Robert Castanon to defend his WBC. Featherweight title, Lopez was considered one of the more exciting champions of his day. At the time, Castanon was undefeated. Uh, I remember him when he fought Salvador Sanchez after that on ABC in a non-title fight. And then on March 10th, 1986, marvelous Marvin Hagler defeats John the Beast Mugabe, stops him in the 11th round. This was a big pay-per-view card on the undercard. You had Hearn uh, stopping James Schuler, who sadly passed away shortly after that fight. This was going to be the buildup of the rematch between Hagler and Hearn, the rematch that obviously never happened. Uh, I mean, to me, Hagler-Mugabe was one of the best fights of the decade. And it, interestingly enough, it did not get ring magazines fight of the year. That was a one. I write about this in my book, tough man, the Greg Hogan story. If anybody wants to bother to read it, uh, how 1986 had some really great fights. You had Holyfield, uh, and Kawi over 15 rounds for the cruiserweight title. Neither one of those fights were ring magazines fight of the year. Stevie Cruz is, 15-round decision over Barry McGuigan won out in uh, an unbelievable battle in the sun. Uh, singly enough, on the undercard of Thomas Hearn's fight with Mark Madal. But uh, at the time, even though he fought more as a junior middle and was a junior middle champ, Mugabe was actually ranked as the number one contender in the middleweight division by one of those sanctioning bodies of BA, maybe the BA or the BC, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, let me see. Actually, since I have the Ring Magazine right here, let me look where Ring Magazine had Mugabe ranked when Marvin beat him. Just give me a second here. Uh, where are we, Marvis? Marvis. As some, some people used to call him, Marvis Marvin Hagler. Who was that guy? Dean Campo? Uh, a lot of time. Marvis Marvin Hagler. 
So here we go. Uh, the Ring Magazine also had him ranked number one at 160 uh, when Hagler beat him. So there you go. And uh, immediately after the fight in the post-fight interview with Mr. Bernstein, Hagler said he was going to retire. And, and that was in keeping to what the story Leonard uh, told on one of those documentaries. It was at Sports Center. I don't remember where I saw it, but I remember uh, Leonard, uh, after the Mugabe fight, went to lunch with Hagler and felt him out and was talking about uh, what Marvin wanted to do moving forward. And uh, according to what Leonard said, Hagler uh, was talking about retiring. He was, he was kind of done. He didn't have the desire anymore. And he was thinking about getting out. And Leonard said with that dopey douchebag smile of his, I thought to myself, what better time to fight him? And that's when he challenged Hagler to fight. Uh, and, and that's documented. I'm not making that up. That came out of Leonard's mouth himself. So, uh, so it would have been interesting to see if Hagler actually did retire if Leonard never challenged him or if he would have went forward and continued to fight because he was also pursuing the title defense record by the murderer Carlos Monzon. But on this day in boxing history, the marvelous one's last official victory. And that's not it for March 10th, 1986. Interestingly enough, and I didn't even realize this until I started looking, in a different venue, you had Buddy McGirt stopping Dave Odom in one round. McGirt going into the fight was 24-0-1. Odom was 13-10-2. Uh, Odom finished his career 14-11-2 and was stopped seven times. Uh, but uh, that, that's not the true story. Uh, the true story was the main event. Does anybody know what the main event was? That's right. Mike Tyson stopping Steve Zowski in the third round. At least I think it was the main event. I mean, uh, I, I was, maybe McGirt was the headliner. I don't remember. But uh, interesting that Tyson, and this is Tyson 1986. He was already uh, a big thing. He was already on ABC beating Jesse Ferguson. Uh, Fighting on the same night as a big, close circuit extravaganza with marvelous Marvin Hagler, that, 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 that to me was very surprising. I didn't realize that. And that's what happened on this date in 1986. So there you go. So let's look at the boxing news. Anything uh, to go over? Uh, so they started selling tickets for Valdez and Stevenson, and I can't tell you how exciting I am about that fight on April 30th. Really, really good stuff there. Uh, not really anything else new. None of you probably already know. I did want to talk a little bit about uh, the passing of Michael Marley, which I didn't do last week. Uh, Michael Marley was uh, a guy that I grew up on. I mean, I read his column in the New York newspapers all the time, boxing. I mean, uh, you know, and he was one of the the first guys that I saw put in print that uh, he felt that uh, Leonard didn't beat Hagler. You know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, that there, there was no controversy. Nobody disputed that win until years later. Bullshit. Marley was one of, one of those many guys did. Kevin Rooney said it 
when he was guest commentating Leonard's fight with Lance. He said it right before the fight started. He's like, oh, I don't think he beat Hagler. And Lampley said, yeah, many people felt that way. So the idea that, that there wasn't immediate controversy on that fight is nonsense. And I was so happy to see Marley put it in print. And Michael Marley, if you don't know, was the first guest I have ever had when I started doing this podcast a million years ago. I think it was 2010. So I want to try and find, I, I think I have, I think I have every episode saved. Uh, and I will, if it's clear enough, sometimes when I go back and listen to some of these shows, the audio is unbearable. Uh, I'll play a little bit of the, the uh, interview that I did with Mr. Marley, who was my first official guest. And sadly, he passed away. I know a lot of people personally uh, that told me he wasn't such a nice fella. I never really knew him like that. Uh uh, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall, and I reached out to him on Facebook, asked him if he would do an interview for my podcast, which is, I don't even think I was doing it a month, if I was doing it a month, and he said yes right away, so he was very nice to me, and now I never, for whatever reason, I was never able to get him back on the show, I reached out a couple of times, and it never happened, but uh, so there you go, and he already was somebody that I was very fond of, his boxing columns back in the day in the New York newspaper. So rest in peace, Mr. Marley. So the big fight at the top of the belt on that zone is the, for the WBA featherweight title, Lee Wood versus Michael Collin, Conlin. Now, one of the things I wanted to find out which I'm not sure, is is Conlon still with top rank? And if so, this is a crossover fight, which is also very encouraging. Uh, but I, I didn't have time to look. Uh, and to me, it's not really that important. Uh, it's a good fight, and it's on the zone. And, and that's what I care about most. But uh, looking at this fight, uh, I could be dead wrong, but I don't think this is a good matchup for Mr. Conlon. I, I like... Lee Wood in this fight, and I like him big. Uh, to me, Lee Wood is a guy that's been in there with tougher composite competition. He's a guy that has grown. He, he is a, a guy that could switch. Excuse me. He's a guy that's been effective on both sides. He has good power in both hands. I've seen him deliver knockout blows and knockdown blows with both his left hook and his right hand. He, he is a much more fighter and versatile fighter than Conlon uh, and I, I just I, I don't understand why Conlon is a slight favorite I, I don't think Conlon is that good I think a lot of it is hype with Conlon a lot of cachet from the Olympics uh, he's been a top ranked fighter so that's going to get him a, a little bit more of attention he definitely has a big fan base that's going to get him a little bit more of attention i was at his pro debut in the hulu theater at madison square garden and uh, people literally came off the plane from ireland to go see him uh definitely is a draw but the work product that i've seen from him i'm not impressed at all he doesn't have much of a jab he is not a very active fighter when he, he fights out of the southpaw stance and he leaves his right extremely low. Uh, if he fights that way, Wood is going to eat him alive. Now, the one thing that 
can be in Conlon's favor is if Conlon can somehow make it his fight and his style and lessen the work rate of Wood. If he could somehow get it to a fight where Wood is not that active, I could see Conlon winning. But I've seen Lee Wood fight quite a bit, and he's always had a high work rate. So I haven't seen anything from Conlon to make me think he is going to uh, impose something in that fight to allow it to be his fight. And if it's his fight, it's a fight that's boring. It's a fight that doesn't have that many punches thrown. That's the kind of fight Michael Conlon needs to win. And everything I've seen from Lee Wood, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, Lee Wood could also be hit, but I don't think Conlon can crack an egg. And what Lee Wood has gotten hit with a lot are straight punches, straight jabs especially. And Conlon, in the fight that I've seen, has no jab whatsoever. So I never usually do this, and he's not that much of an underdog. But if you want to bet some money on Lee Wood, as a slight underdog, I think that's a good play. Now, I'm not going to do it. I don't gamble. But I, I could see that being a good play. I like Lee Wood. Uh, uh, he could even stop Conlon late. He, has, he carries his power late into fights, Lee Wood. So we will see. I am very, very surprised that uh, Conlon is a slight favorite. Now, let me just check real quick. Quick and see, because I could see a lot of money coming in on Lee Wood. Uh, I could check real quick as this loads up. Of course, it's moving slow, right? Whenever you call customer service, right? Isn't it at the time when the computers are always down? And now I have it. Now I understand it a little bit. I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. So, uh. Now I'm not seeing the odds for this fight. Hold on. Never good to try. Oh, here we go. So Conlon is at minus 170. Lee Wood is at plus 140. So so it's not the greatest of odds, but I, I certainly would favor Lee Wood to win this fight, and I certainly think it's a safe bet. And uh, we'll see. So, yeah, I mean, there's not really much else happening in terms of all the cards here in the U.S. I think that's the only game in town this weekend for American boxing fans. Let's just peep the boxing schedule real quick before we get out of here. Now, I don't think March, the rest of March is terrible. And with uh, baseball being uh, dis- disappearing from the schedule, a guy like me need, certainly needs boxing to keep himself sane. We also got March Madness coming up. I'm looking forward to that as well. But uh, let's see, the March schedule you have 
Lee Wood versus Michael Conlon, which is a really good fight. I just think it's going to be one-sided in Wood's favor, but uh, I, I, and obviously I'm in the minority there because Conlon is the betting favorite, and hopefully it delivers as a really good fight. Uh, March 19th, you have a few things happening. You have Virgil Ortiz fighting Michael McKinson. I mean, at some point you want to see Virgil Ortiz fighting much better guys. Uh, that's still the frustrating part about boxing. Even though we're getting a lot of great fights, a lot of these top fighters and are still not fighting each other. If that could ever clear up, uh, you know, the sport would really be thriving. Uh, and obviously, uh, Ortiz has to get past McKinson before that happens. And I'll talk more about that fight next week. Uh, in New York, you have on ESPN, Edgar Berlanger, fighting Steve Rolls in a card that is going to feature some young prospects. Uh, and then on in Dubai, you got the IBF lightweight title, Sonny Edwards versus Maham, Muhammad Wasim. I, I'm pretty sure that's the card that's also going to feature Pro Gray. Uh, March 26th, here's a good fight. Kiko Martinez versus Josh Warrington. Miguel Burchelt versus Jeremiah Nakatila uh, spunk out the joint against uh, Stevenson, but uh, I think the Burchelt fight is going to have a lot more action than that fight. And then on Showtime, you got Tim Zhu versus Terrell Gossa. So uh, a pretty good eight, uh, March. For those of you who are saying March is, is totally dead, you're just not paying attention. Either that or you're not uh, really investing your time as a boxing fan. If you're investing your time as a boxing fan, is Certainly plenty to enjoy. I won't talk about April yet, so we'll, we'll get that done. And the other thing, it, it, it sound, I heard uh, that the ticket sales for Fury and Dillian White, one of those big fights in April, uh, unbelievable ticket sales, 85,000 tickets sold in a very short amount of time. And they're looking to add more seats because the demand is so high. So I, I always hear on the social media feeds from the old man-itis people how boxing is no longer a major sport, which is absolutely ridiculous claim. And just point to that. Point to 85,000 people buying tickets for a boxing event. Right? Now I get overseas that the tickets, prices of the tickets aren't as much as here in America. But still, 85,000 people packing an arena for a sporting event is, to me, more than solid evidence that boxing is still a major sport. But there you go. Thank you very much, John J. Responde, for all of you who have the ring magazine list. What did you think of it? Right? You can email me at zootsboxingtalk at yahoo.com for any comments or questions about anything. Right? I want to start getting a email, mailbag, whatever you want to call it as part of the show, but nobody ever emails. Maybe people talk. I do get emails and responses from my uh, 
postings that I do in the International Boxing Research Organization Journal. I, I've gotten a, a couple of email responses by members who've read that, and I, maybe I'll start posting those. I, I appreciate those. Um, uh, I, I posted uh, and not, not the one that just came. We just got the new journal now, the, the one prior. I had uh, an article about Roberto Duran as, as well as my favorite 140-pound fights of all time. And I, I received feedback from IBRO members on both of those. So that was cool. Uh, but uh, other than that, go to topclassboxing.co.uk for all your boxing fixes. Uh, Zoots Boxing Talk is on Block Talk Radio as well as Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and a whole bunch of other stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Zoots Sports Talk. Uh, enjoy the big fight this weekend. As own is the only game in town, and hopefully you'll be there to support uh, what I think is going to be a solid featherweight championship fight, and we'll talk about that as well as the undercard and the other fights coming up next time we are on the air. And maybe we'll hear a little bit of the late Michael Morley, if I could find that entity. Until then, ring the bell and keep on punching. Stop flying by, and I'm not taking any more.